Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, Callum and I have now been on Wizard Radio for two years. This is our two-year anniversary, so I just quickly want to say thank you to all our family and friends for supporting us through uh, these two years, and especially thank you to our producer, James uh, James Gilmore, for everything he's done for us, and of course to our fans and listeners that have uh, supported us from Teenscope, and of course on this show, which is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendship. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. Yes, thank you very much for having us for two whole years. I can't believe you've <laughs> put up with us for so long. Uh, so George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still rather good friends. Tonight, we'll be asking, should the use of hands-free phones whilst driving be banned? Who should pay for a wedding? And finally, do you trust journalists? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked you to send in your opinions on have you ever faced discrimination? So let's jump straight in to our first opinion. And it comes in from Tyler. And he says, I have definitely faced discrimination because of the color of my skin. Even if it isn't blatant, you just know that people aren't treating you the way that they treat other people. And the only difference between me and other people is the color of my skin. I'm one of the only black students at my school. And like sometimes... It's that you walk by and people purposely don't look at you or stare at you, and it's just weird. There are also just racial comments sometimes that people don't realise they're making. It's those moments when people are trying to not be racist that you see it the most, to be honest. Callum, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously really sad that uh, Tyler um, has faced discrimination. I mean, I'm not... um, surprised really as such but but obviously it is it is sad that still in in 2019 people people are facing this um for the color of your skin as as tyler says but i I do think it's something that really rings true in um it's not like kind of 
outright racism or, or anything like that that I think a lot of people do it in in a school setting but I think there is a tendency when you I think especially once you reach uh, into secondary school and past about year eight I think you do start to kind of notice differences between between children a lot more um, so I, I, I think there is a tendency in a school setting to to really uh, pick out on that. I, I think if we look in, in our school, George, I think um, I won't mention his name or anything, but there, there was a there was a Muslim boy at our school in our year. Um, and I think he was quite often picked out, um, not in necessarily a completely discriminatory way or, or anything like that, but he was singled out sometimes um, for being a Muslim and, and obviously for having um a, a darker shade of skin than what the majority of of the other children around him had i mean it's probably something that in maybe london or a more kind of um ethnically diverse place um maybe this problem isn't so prevalent because there's, there's more of a sense of normality of these kind of things but i think probably because we come from a place that is still fairly predominantly white or at least um the school we went to was fairly predominantly white maybe there was that that problem in terms of discrimination there as well i mean what do you think george yeah i mean i i think um as you say i i am truly um upset to hear what uh, tyler's opinion and i think it's quite sad that we are sitting here in the 21st century and we are um we can still obviously read about uh, discrimination going on due to someone's um due to the color of someone's skin yeah. and i think it is appalling but what really um jumps out for me is is when tyler says about how it's when people are trying not to be racist that he, he um notices it the most and 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 i don't know when when i was reading that and reading over these um opinions when they got sent in i was i was kind of thinking to myself i i don't ever feel myself not trying to be racist when i'm talking to someone that's of a different ethnicity to who i am but but obviously sometimes i don't know people will try and make sure that they aren't saying anything that that would be offensive language towards certain ethnicities and i think maybe that's where it can be most highlighted but but i suppose maybe that's people's coping mechanisms but um and essentially in the school environment i think that is where it can be at its worst because there is a lot of bullying that goes on in school and and i'm Unfortunately, I think whether you're bullied for um, the color of your skin or whether you're bullied because um, you're larger than someone else, uh, unfortunately, schools are a um, an area where this kind of discrimination and bullying goes on. And essentially, this discrimination that's going on that Tyler is facing is bullying. Um, and and I and I truly hope that maybe if he um says something about it hopefully that it, it could change yeah yeah no i mean i completely agree with you there uh, moving on to our next opinion it's from anna anna said i've never faced discrimination myself as far as i'm aware but i have witnessed it my school is a really diverse school people from all different backgrounds and a teacher got fired a few years ago because they had said something racist to a student he had been misbehaving in class which was an advanced maths class and the teacher said something like people like you are only in this class to fill a quota or at least that is what was rumored obviously there was a big inquiry but when she said that, that that it raised a lot of questions about her motives behind other decisions too i mean that's really appalling isn't it george yeah again i i think it's it's quite 
um, worrying that we are hearing stories like that today um and, and i think it's absolutely appalling that you know students especially when they're in schools you're trying your utmost and i i'm certain that that child was actually in that class because of the abilities that they were able to show and the skills that they had in that um area of subject not just because there was a quota to be filled and and what a I think it's one hearing it from your fellow students, but a complete other field when you hear it from a teacher. And and I think, you know, these teachers are supposed to be an example of the school. They're supposed to show how to act in certain situations and how to respect everyone. Um, and if they are going around saying things like that, how can they expect the students to act any differently? So I think essentially when we come faced with problems like this, we've got to start with with teachers, with adults, ensuring that we are um, promoting the correct way of treating people with equality um, no matter their background no matter their ethnicity um, to ensure that children know how to interact with other people yeah yeah I mean I, I guess the the only kind of silver lining from Anna's story I think would be that it seems like that that teacher was dismissed um, fairly soon after that. So at least, you know, I mean, I think that's almost the strongest action that can be taken is, you know, dismissing any teacher that, you know, seeks to say these kind of things. No, absolutely. Um, right. Our final uh, opinion comes in from Georgie. And she says, I definitely think I have faced discrimination because I'm a girl. I think every girl, whether they realize it or not, has faced gender discrimination because a lot of people still think that girls are better at some things than men, etc. Like making these huge generalizations. I don't think we will ever live in a world which is completely without discrimination because there's no way to stop people thinking in a certain way. It's a general generational thing in reality every girl is different and no one gender as a whole is better at anything than another gender other than literal chemical things like giving birth your thoughts callum yeah i mean again i do agree with georgie and and obviously i i think it's difficult obviously for for me and you george obviously being men to really truly be able to to empathize and understand may, maybe some of the discrimination that Georgie's gone through. Although, you know, you, you just speak to the vast majority, if not all women really that I've said to have said they face discrimination because of that fact, because they're women. And, and, you know, there is a tendency um, amongst men, not all men. And as, as Georgie says, generalizations are, are not a good thing, um, but there is a tendency um for men to just dismiss that because you know maybe it's not the kind of um uh really hard um uh gender discrimination that we saw or sexism that we saw in the olden days but it's still there even if it's if it's more of a subtle thing no absolutely and just to uh, finalize on everything we've talked about um you know if you if anyone does feel like they are being discriminated against please please do um speak out again about it and and speak to someone about what you're going through because it's not right and whoever is doing it towards you um should be called out upon it and you know you you deserve equality like anybody else so please make sure you are seeking help and um speaking out about it because if you keep it bottled up then you will be even 
in more harm and, and it's not right at all um right so remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in the this segment of next week's show and we've now reached the time for our first on break of this evening so we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. Time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, should the use of hands-free phones whilst driving be banned? So a few weeks ago, a group of MPs suggested that the use of hands-free mobile phones whilst driving should be banned for fears of the safety of using such devices. Current laws give the misleading impression that hands-free options are safe, they warned. While it is currently illegal to use a handheld phone at the wheel since 2003, the Commons Transport Select Committee has suggested that hands-free devices create the same risks of collision. A public consultation is now underway for the proposal, with the results being published later this year. Joshua Harris of road safety charity Break said, one moment's distraction from a phone can cause a lifetime of suffering, so our advice to drivers is simple. When you're driving, make sure your phone is on silent and placed out of sight and out of reach in his supporting comments for this proposal. George, what do you make of this? Do you, do you think uh, the use of hands-free phones whilst driving should be banned? Um, well, I am a very big person that uh, doesn't... I, I, it angers me when I see people driving along, obviously, actually on their handheld phone, um, texting or, or whatever. And it really, really does bug me. And I think that is definitely stepping over the line. And yeah. you are putting so many people's lives at risk. It's unbelievable. Um, but when it comes to hands free, I think it's quite a difficult situation because i i do believe that hands-free can be a system that doesn't have to be distracting if you properly know how to use it and your your phone is is properly um connected to your car and you can answer the phone by your steering wheel and and so on and so forth because personally i don't believe that hands-free phones are any more distracting than having your radio on full blast singing along to that because you're you're just engaging in singing a song than you are having a conversation on the phone to someone um and you know if a phone if because i have hands free in my car if if someone calls me i can pick it up my steering wheel talk to them and put the phone down i don't have to think anything more of it i can keep driving concentrate on the road and have a conversation it's just like having someone sitting next to me in the car um talking now the thing that i that, that would frustrate me is that we are we do see people that have hands-free uh, technology in their car but they still have to answer it by picking up their handheld phone yeah. and clicking the button and then it comes through their car, which I think is wrong. And, and we are seeing such vast technologies coming out now in cars, which, in, which make sure that our phones are connected properly to modern day cars and that, that they are ensuring that the safety is top priority. Um, and, and I mean... I don't know. I, I think that there is a there is definitely a case that we should be looking at to ensure that the safety is priority um, and people are aware 
the situation when they do answer um, a hands-free phone. But overall, I believe that people are capable of answering a hands-free phone and talking on it whilst driving um, and maintaining a uh, a sensible amount of concentration on the road to ensure that there aren't any unnecessary accidents that happen. Um, but Callum, you are learning to drive. Um, what what are your thoughts? Do you think that you, um, you know, as I, I know you're going to be passing your test very soon, um, <laughs> do you think you will be able to have a hands-free phone whilst driving or do you think there is that is too much of a distraction as a new driver? Well, I mean, don't um, count your chickens before they've hatched, uh, George. <laughs> but uh, th- thank you for the uh, vote of confidence in that. Um, I, I think it's you know it's it's a difficult one, as you say. Uh, safety's got to be uh, a priority as such. Um, but at the same time, I think I think we have to accept that it would be quite difficult to police now. The, the use of hands-free phones because you know they're, they're so built into uh the this infotainment systems that most modern cars run okay some of the older models won't have it built in so that you can answer your phone hands-free and um have a speaker built into the car and and, and so forth or a microphone built into the car rather but most modern cars do have this now and and uh, I, I think it's very difficult to almost turn back on that. Um, and I think as well, as, as you say, George, there's, there's very much the argument then of, well, if we're going to ban the use of hands-free phones whilst driving, why aren't we banning conversations altogether in cars? Because that does distract you, then. let's be honest. And I think in a sense, and I'd like your opinion on this as well, George, but in a sense, I think maybe more of the burden should actually be placed upon the driver in this scenario to actually understand when it is appropriate to be using a hands-free phone and when it's appropriate to, even if you're in the middle of a call saying, wait, I need to concentrate at the moment because, you know, I'm coming down a very tight country lane or I'm going up a a high street with a lot of um, cars parked either side or or so forth. Uh, um, Do you think, George, that, that more burden should be placed upon drivers um, to be um, deciding when is an appropriate time to use hands-free phones rather than banning it altogether? I, I Absolutely. I, I think essentially, you know, you're, the driver is in, is in control of the car um, and as such, they are in control of their passengers if they have any and the safety of those passengers and essentially yeah. themselves as well. Um, and I, if I'm going down, a, uh, as you quite rightly say, Callum, if I go down a country road or something, or I need to particularly concentrate, or the weather's really bad, I won't answer my phone if it goes off because I need to, I, I need to make sure that my full focus is um, on driving. And it, it, I think it is people um, sometimes forget how much focus you do actually need when you are driving. You know, um, just the other other day, I, I drove for over what six hours over three european countries and i was shattered and it makes you realize how much you actually have to focus whilst driving and how much you are um the ability of driving is not you know just sitting there changing gear you're watching everything that's going on so absolutely the burden should be on the driver do you think though callum a way to get around this safety aspect is maybe introducing a a level of awareness of hands-free phones when you learn to drive so if an instructor 
structure is there um, showing someone how to connect their phone to the hands-free, how to answer the phone on hands-free in the car, when it's right to speak, when maybe you shouldn't, you should leave the call and bring them back later. Do you think maybe that is something that from this proposal that's going through the commons at the moment could potentially actually be quite a, a good suggestion to ensure that we are giving that little bit more of a safety aspect so people when they do start to drive are more aware of what is going on and have the experience of being on the phone whilst learning to drive do you think that's maybe a step that we could take yeah i think that would definitely be a helpful step i mean obviously it would be um virtually impossible to have it on on an actual driving test or anything like that but i see no reason why uh, it shouldn't still be a mandatory part of the driving curriculum as it were i mean if if we consider that now uh as part of your driving lessons and actually as part of your driving test you um learn how to use a sat nav and how to drive using a sat nav and things like that i think that there is that same principle there i mean obviously you can't quite replicate that in a test unless you know the examiner <laughs> phones you up and you have to <laughs> answer it or, How's or it going? something like, yeah, yeah i'm just sat here with the, my uh, my examiner at the moment <laughs> how are you <laughs> um but um no I, I i i do think for sure it's something that we could be looking at including in driving lessons mm. um as a kind of bare minimum yeah, and, and do, but what do, what do you think the the outcome of this proposal is going to be? Do you think that we are going to see it, it come back to Commons and say that it is essential that we ban um, all all hands free phones from cars? And the thing is, how how do you think if it does come back in that way? How do you think we will go around ensuring that cars that have it in the systems anyway is how do we ensure that people can't use it yeah i mean it's a, it's a difficult one i i think um yeah I, I think it probably is inevitable that this will happen eventually the use of hands-free phones will be will be banned at least in a legal sense even if in practice a lot of people kind of ignore that as a role um i suppose there there maybe would be a a, a technological way you could do it in terms of uh, for all new cars that created, maybe they'd have an auto um, kind of lock switch, which basically means that the the hands-free element um, built into their infotainment system won't work if you're uh, moving at all. You have to be at uh, zero miles per hour or something like that for it to kick in and actually work, and it just mm. completely shuts off if not. Possibly that's a way that they can effectively mean that it's not, as possible although then as you say george earlier people can still pick up their phone answer it and stick it onto speakerphone um no, so really. i mean do you think there's another way it can be placed just very quickly george um i don't really think there is because it's it's very hard to tell that people are on the phone if it's hands-free um because they might just be singing along to a song in the car you you I, I think it's very hard for the police to tell the difference um i mean but i think your idea about new cars coming out by uh, only allowing to answer the phone whilst you're at a standstill i think that is definitely maybe an approach or even having a a time limit of you're only allowed to use your phone during the day and not at night time because you need more concentration um i don't know but i definitely think there is systems in that could be put into place as you suggested Callum that could ensure that maybe safety is the number one priority when people are driving 
for sure. Um, just very quickly, George, how do you think this poll is going to go? Um, I think it's going to be quite close, but I think people will say that we can, uh, we shouldn't ban hands-free phones. What yeah, do you think? no, I agree. I think no will have about 55% to 45%, oh. yes. Right then, time to move on to our second song break of this evening, but remember to vote on this poll. Should the use of hands-free phones whilst driving be banned? You can do that with the radio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. And welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked the question, should the use of hands-free phones whilst driving be banned? And you guys have been voting away. So 27% of you said, yes, it should be banned, compared to 73% of you that have said, no, it shouldn't. So, George, that's actually a larger uh, result in favour of no than what I thought. Is there any reason you, you think that might be, or are you not really surprised by that then? Um, no, I, I am quite surprised because, I, as I said, I thought it was going to be quite um, close between the two. But I, I suppose maybe people um, are very good multitaskers. Yes, yes, maybe, maybe. Or maybe they don't drive. Maybe that one as well. <laughs> um, right. OK, so let's move on to our third discussion. And we're asking the question, who should pay for a wedding so i would say almost everyone would eventually like to get married one day but getting married nowadays isn't just about saying your loving vows in a church oh no it is a it's about putting on a day and evening to remember but with the average cost of weddings now peaking at around 25 to thirty thousand pounds which does normally include a honeymoon i must say the question has got to be asked who should pay for the bill callum and i are very aware of the fact that the following options do not best represent same-set marriages and we are very sorry for that it was just it could get very complicated with all the options but Callum imagine yourself on one knee looking at your dream partner and they've just said yes to marrying you I mean not that it would ever happen but you know (laughs) speaking hypothetical and and as soon as they've said yes obviously the first thing in your mind is Who's going to pay the bill? So who are you going to pick out of the following options? The bride's parents, the groom's parents, split between both parents or yourself and your lovely partner, who is the bride and the groom. Who are you going to pick, Callum? (laughs) Um, I mean, I I think that the kind of option I'd most like to, to do would be the the bride and groom paying or, or the you know the two people who are getting married should be the ones paying for it because they're the ones that want to get married um you know and i i think it's a kind of mark of of a of a grown-up nowadays that you know you 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 pay for your own wedding you pay for your own uh, deposit on your house hopefully or at least the majority of it and, and things like this so so obviously in an ideal world that would be where what i'd like to see although my wallet would probably thank me if it wasn't me paying for it for sure <laughs> um I, if not i think the kind of next best option would be split between both parents because i think then there's a kind of sense of equality between the two partners um and it kind of recognizes that kind of the longer you've been in work which obviously the parents would have been much longer in work they're going to have more disposable income to spend on on this kind of thing and it, it ensures that the bride and groom or the two, the two people getting married don't start their life t- together in debt 
Um, although I did have a kind of interesting argument for why, because obviously traditionally the bride's parents would, would pay, you know, probably maybe in our parents' generation, certainly in our grandparents' generation, I think that would be the tradition, but that's kind of gone away a little bit more now. I think it's much more, it's either split between the two parents or the bride and groom pay, but I do think there is an argument to be made that the groom's parents should pay for it. If we kind of take the argument that traditionally the uh the wife takes the the man's surname as such so maybe the argument could be that as a kind of cost for that for keeping the family name going <laughs> the groom's parents should be paying for this honor of you know keeping the girl name going as it were i mean what do you think of that georgia and more seriously who do you think you should pay for a wedding well, I I think the uh, the idea of of just because the wife's got to take the uh, the man's name is all I would say is um, the cup surname is worth more than thirty thousand. <laughs> I don't I don't think the girl surname is that. It's not it's not the uh, greatest surname in the world, is it? It's not the nicest sounding surname. I mean, sure. I'll be honest with you, mate. It's better than cup. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the jokes you used to get, I suppose, about cup can have been amazing. What do you mean used to? I still do. Uh, this is uh, true. This is true. <laughs> um, but look, I, I am a very big traditionalist and, and I like things very traditional, obviously, because I'm a tra- traditionalist. Of course. Um, and, and part of me would kind of hope that the uh, bride's parents would fill uh, most of the bill and contribute mostly to the... Um, uh to the to the bill for the wedding and and i think it's it's probably for me it's the nice gesture to to, i don't know to help the the loving couple on the way um but 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 as all right callum but as (laughs) as as times have moved on as you quite rightly say we are now in a modern era and, and traditions have definitely changed i think it's also quite hard to say that the bride's parents should pay because we are unfortunately in a um generation um, where a lot of our parents are divorced. And I think it's sometimes quite unfair to maybe expect a single parent um, to to pay it all because, I don't know, there might be complications. And I think there is it's always quite hard. So uh, essentially, I think maybe looking at it on today's aspects, I would say, look, come on, um, bride's, bride's parents, you can pay for most of it and my parents will kind of pay for, I don't know, the, the drinks or something i think there should be there should be a split somewhere but i don't think it should be an equal split because as i said i am quite a, a a traditional person but i i wouldn't really like to uh to pay for for my wedding uh just by myself because there is no way that i think i would spend 25 to thirty thousand pounds on a wedding i know it's going to be a very special day but i i i couldn't even imagine spending thirty thousand pounds on just one single day um i, I couldn't even think about it maybe like two grand when i when i did a little bit of research on the average cost i was not expecting to see thirty thousand pounds come up um i was expecting maybe like ten thousand but i would rather spend thirty thousand pounds on a nice house or something not not on a wedding um when essentially it's just a bit of a legal document so i so yeah i think essentially it should be split between the two parents but but do you do you think there? Do you think it could put someone off if you if you proposed to them and said to that then to turn around to them, well, we're not getting married until um, your dad or mum gets the uh, money on the table? <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the least romantic thing I've ever heard. But <laughs> hopefully you wouldn't word it quite like that, George. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think 
the thing is nowadays it's kind of expected that the bride and groom will pay themselves and then they maybe they either ask or they hint at the parents to to step in and help them out a little bit and they just hope that that they're generous parents as it were that that will step in but but i'm certainly not going to be you know just get getting up after i'm down on one knee and be like oh so when's your uh when's your dad and mum gonna drop the money off then so that we can <laughs> we can have this wedding I, I don't think that would go down well at all no, um, i'm sure I'm sure it wouldn't do you think george though that this does depend a little bit upon age y- your answer you'd have it because i think if you're if you're 20 years old or or even 21 probably below 25 years of age and you're getting married maybe there is more of a societal expectation that your parents will help pay for that but if you're getting married at 50 which obviously is absolutely fine to get married at 50 but you maybe might expect that you then pay for your for your own wedding then i mean do you think age is a factor in this I, I definitely think there is because obviously as you highlighted earlier um if you're a, a lot older you would have worked for a lot longer so um essentially you should have the savings to to pay for a wedding whereas if you're younger i think obviously maybe you would kind of rely on your parents a lot more to, to fund the wedding um and i think that goes back to um what you highlighted as well is about it's a generational thing um our parents got married when they were a lot younger compared to a lot of people that are of our age um i mean you know my mum was already married when she was 21 um wow. and, and and i think that's that's kind of the whole whole concept you know a lot of people were married a lot younger back back in the day whereas now i think it's more of an older thing to do you know around your 30s now um but i mean i i must say Callum, i think i think your uh, your mum and dad will be keeping their fingers crossed for for my option because you know they've got two two lads um two sons and they're probably thinking oh come on the, the bride's parents can pay pay for the whole wedding <laughs> Well, a lot, uh, lot easier for them. It, yeah, it's uh, it's funny you say that because I was discussing this this question with my dad, and and he said, "Oh, uh, I'm a massive traditionalist. The bride's parents, obviously, very tongue in cheek, <laughs> uh, so that he got out of paying at all with two boys." Oh, I mean, my my mum has always said that the only thing she would like for my sister, the only thing she would like to buy is the is my sister's wedding dress, um, and then my dad can foot the rest of the bill. But we'll, we'll <laughs> see how well that goes down. Very um, smart. I know, isn't isn't it just? So, what of these options do you think is going to come out on top? Um, oh, it's difficult. It's going to be close between bride and groom and split between both parents, I think. But I'll go that the audience is very selfless and bride and groom. What about you? I'm going to stick with my uh, traditionalists out there. So, come on, everyone. Let's click the bride's parents. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I hope that bride's parents win. Um, you never know. Um, right. Okay. So remember to uh, vote on this question: Who should pay for a, a Who should pay for a wedding? And the options are bride's parents, groom's parents, split between both parents, or the bride and groom. And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. We'll be back before you know it. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, who should pay for a wedding? And as always, you guys have been voting away. So the results have just come in and the results are as follows. The bride's parents got 23%. The groom's parents got 21%. Split between both parents got 39%. And the bride and groom got 17%. Well, Callum, 
what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I was, I was obviously dead wrong in terms of my prediction, really. It came came last, what I thought it, would come top. <laughs> it, it did. I mean, I'm very surprised at how, uh, how high up the uh, Bright's parents got. Yeah, no, I, I am. I mean, obviously, you've been... Um, You've been managing to attract that traditionalist audience, George. So very well done. Well, what can I say? I was secretly just voting on my phone refreshing the page. (laughs) (laughs) Right then, time to move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, do you trust journalists? So just 2% of British adults put a great deal of trust in journalists to tell the truth, according to research by YouGov and Cambridge University last year. So a total of 16% of the more than 2,000 British adults surveyed said they had a fair amount of trust in journalists to tell the truth, which leaves the vast majority, 77%, saying they had little to no trust in journalists. This 2018 survey is worrying for British newspapers and publishers, with it clear that journalists are still suffering from the effects of the phone hacking scandal, which claims the scalp of the 168-year-old News of the World in 2011. George, do you personally trust journalists? And what more can journalists do to earn the trust of the public at large? Um, Personally, as as a whole, I don't trust journalists as much as I probably um, would like to trust them. There are certain journalists in the political field especially that um, I definitely don't trust but there are certain ones that I definitely do trust and I follow them very closely um, on what news is being brought about. But essentially journalists all have an agenda that they want to keep to and they all have a certain type of reader that they want to appeal to as well. Um, And at the end of the day you can't really discredit newspapers or journalists because they have to sell sell a story um and of course they're going to exaggerate certain things and of course they're going to maybe drop a little bit of um sugar into some places that are a bit sour um just to ensure that there is a bit more of a flow a bit more of a story to tell and to make sure that their newspaper gets bought or to make sure that their article is read online um and to make sure it's different because obviously everyone's reporting on the same story essentially and they've got to be different in in certain ways so i i can understand why people don't trust them because especially in this country with everything that's gone on with brexit i think a lot of um leavers don't trust a lot of newspapers for their approach on brexit where and and vice versa with remainers on certain newspapers with brexit as well um but for me, if I look on a, because my job's quite quite a lot, I, I have to follow the journalists, what's going on. I have to follow the news. Um, and, and, and for me, Laura Kroonsberg, there are certain elements of what she does that I absolutely love. Um, and as much as she in the past has been seen to be quite comfortable in the Labour wing, um, I think in recent times she's actually been a lot more a a liberal person, a lot more in the middle. And and for me, she's one of the people that I do like to follow to keep me up to date on what's going on. Um, So individually, there are some that I definitely do trust. But overall, I think, unfortunately, I would have to say that I don't trust journalists. But Callum, my um, bidding journalist aspiring friend... um, would you trust journalists? Would you trust yourself as a journalist? <laughs> oh, I'd trust myself. Absolutely. I always <laughs> tell the truth, George. Um, but I think it's... I, I, I don't completely trust journalists nowadays. Um, 
well, I, I, I mean, I suppose almost never have in, in a sense, but I, I think it's very difficult to trust journalists because we, we all know that they've got big political biases or, or even if it's something as simple as, you know, sports journalism, they've, they've got a bias, you know, they're, if they're talking about, um, you know, commenting on a, on a national sport or something like that. Obviously, if it's England and they're English, they're more than likely going to be slightly biased towards England in, in their report on that. And and if they're an Aston Villa fan, God bless Aston Villa, uh, <laughs> they're going to be biased towards Villa if it's a Villa match or something like that. It, it just does happen. Um, and I think we are just taught nowadays to be more sceptical of things. Um, but I do think for me as a as a person more of a, a liberal persuasion, I find it more difficult to trust journalists maybe than most because there's not many journalists that are, are lib dems as such. Um, and I, I quite often find the ones that I most tend to agree with, because I'm generally more left wing, um, they really often have a habit of really, really annoying me because they are so rank and file labor beneath the surface i think that it really really annoys me sometimes in the kind of unfair coverage that they give labor in comparison to the liberal democrats but also the greens as well and kind of uh, a lot of left-wing journalists i think have the tendency to overlook labor's flaws where if a liberal democrat mp done that or a green mp or an smp mp or any of these done that they would be having a massive go at them so so i i do have a trouble uh just trusting journalists just because i do think there is always going to be those biases there for sure um just before we go to the song great george do you think that our audience are going to trust journalists um i would say they're not going to trust journalists uh, but i think it'll be quite close um but i i think overall i don't think i think they're going to say that they won't trust them um because of everything that has gone on recently within journalism and all of that um and because they know that you're going to be a journalist and who can trust you <laughs> what, what do you think though uh i'll go the other way so i'll say they will trust journalists but only a quite a small um majority of them Right then, time to move on to our final song break of this evening. But don't forget to vote on this poll. Do you trust journalists? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked, do you trust journalists? And you guys have been voting away. So 38% of you said, yes, you do trust journalists, compared to 62% of you that have said, no, you don't. So, George, you're like a to-be-discussed stethoscope this evening, finger on the pulse with our audience. I mean, you've done amazingly with your predictions tonight, haven't you? Well, I mean, um, I've, uh, I've been paying people to vote. <laughs> I, I would never pull it past you, George. As you're a conservative, <laughs> I wouldn't pull it past you at all. <laughs> right, and we've reached the time to end this evening's show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Girl. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. 
As mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question, what's your favourite film? You can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizradio. Remember, the question is, what's your favourite film? And we're looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So, as always, I've been the fully trusted journalist, George Lawrence Cup. And I've been the actually training to be a journalist, Callum Gurr. Uh, <laughs> thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. <laughs> <laughs>